Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. Imagine lugging a 100-pound weight everywhere you go. That's what living with worry and anxiety is like, a burden that often leads to depression. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at the worries and anxieties young David carried and the dramatic toll it took on his life. From The Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah to introduce his important message, David's Deep Depression. You know, I'm a a great sports fan and have a son who's in the industry. And one of the things that's being talked about a lot now is the the issue of depression in uh, professional sports. You would say, how could anybody ever be depressed? They make a lot of money. They get to travel. They get to do what they love to do more than anything else. But for some reason, there's an awful lot of depression, a great incidence of um, mental uh, challenges among some of the pros, and it's just representative of all of us throughout humanity. There's a, there's a lot of people who deal with depression. I have to honestly tell you, I've been discouraged on occasion, sometimes very discouraged, but I don't think I've ever been depressed. But I know people who go through depression. Uh, we've had some of it in in our extended family, and I, I hear them talk about it and the awfulness of not knowing what to do. Well, David's going to go through this, and I'm not telling you this is a once-and-for-all cure for whatever you're facing, but it is very interesting how David dealt with his depression. We'll get to it in a moment. I want to remind you that we're coming down to the end of the month of June, which means we're coming down to the end of our June premium, our resource for the month. And I'm going to be very sad not to be able to make this available beyond today and tomorrow because it's a tremendous tool for your own walk with the Lord. It's called The Focused Life, and it's bound uh, in this beautiful book is the Psalms and the Proverbs and the New Living Translation, and they're put together in such a way that you read five Psalms, then you read a chapter of Proverbs, five more Psalms, another chapter of Proverbs, and in doing so, you read through Psalms and Proverbs in one month. It is a great tool to give you discipline to do that. Some of you will do it, and you'll want to do it again. I told you yesterday that I have people who have told me they do this every month and have never stopped doing it since they started, along with their other devotional uh, exercises. It doesn't take long to read uh, those Psalms and that chapter out of Proverbs, but the impact on your life is, is ongoing. So please let us have the opportunity to send this to you. Uh, we have them in the warehouse. We're ready to ship them to you. Just send a gift to Turning Point to help us in what we're doing. Do the best you can. Be as generous as you can. And just ask for the focused life. And it's on its way. Okay, part one, David's Deep Depression. Depression is not a word that is welcome in most of our vocabularies. And it is surely not a malady that we uh, anticipate. But the fact is, men and women, that most of us, given the circumstances of life, 
will discover somewhere on our journey from the cradle to the grave momentary periods of time when we are discouraged and depressed. It is comforting in some regard to recognize that that is a particular problem that has often plagued some of God's greatest people. Oftentimes in his ministry, Charles Haddon Spurgeon suffered from that problem. And recently in my reading, I came across this statement from his pen. He wrote, before any great achievement, some measure of depression is very usual. Such was my experience when I first became a pastor in London. My success appalled me, and the thought of the career which seemed to open up, so far from elating me, cast me into the lowest depth, out of which I uttered my misery and found no room for a gloria in excelsis. Who was I that I should continue to lead so great a multitude? I would betake me to my village, obscurity, or I would immigrate to America and find a solitary nest in the backwoods where I might be sufficient for the things that were demanded of me. It was just then the curtain was rising on my life work that this depression came over me. And it is also true that whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for any ministry, depression often accompanies it." End of quote. Surely as we have studied the life of David, we can see the curtain rising on his ministry. He has been anointed of the Lord to be God's king over Israel. And yet here we find him in the 27th chapter of 1 Samuel, wallowing in self-misery and in depression. It is interesting to read the Psalms that David penned during this period of time. They are without question some of the saddest, some of the more morose of his writings. They are marked by the depression that was in his own soul. I have taken the opportunity to jot down in my notes the first words from three of the Psalms David wrote during this time. Psalm 10 reads like this. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? And then there is Psalm 13, verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? And then in the 22nd Psalm, which we often refer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was certainly a reference to him by way of prophecy, but it was also by way of immediate reference, David's condition of soul. And he wrote these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? These are the words of a man who is ready to break. The words of David, the hero of our study. And they are words which find great understanding and meaning to us as we pause for a moment in the 27th chapter in the record of his life. I think it would be good for us to examine this chapter, first of all, to understand the circumstances of David's depression. To say that he was depressed, one needs only to study the first verse of the 27th chapter. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, 
And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, and I will escape out of his hand. There were two reasons that caused David to be depressed, and we find them both here in the 27th chapter. Reason number one was that he had an enemy that he could not master. David had an enemy he could not master. Saul's hatred for David had such deep roots. Uh, we have omitted a chapter in our study, jumping from the 25th to the 27th chapter. Not that the 26th is unimportant, but simply that it records an event so very similar to one we have already studied. It would help us to move past it to the 27th. It is the story of David, and once again, David having Saul in the palm of his hand. He sees Saul encamped and he sends one of his men down and he gets his sword and he gets the cruise of water that is by Saul and then he stands on the mountain and hollers down to Saul's right hand man and chides him for being such a terrible guard for the king. And once again reminds Saul that he could have killed him but he chose not to. David should have been encouraged when Saul asked for forgiveness, but David knew too well that the enmity that Saul had in his heart for David was a terminal illness and that Saul would never repent and that Saul would go to his grave hating David and that every day that Saul was well, bode forbearing for David and he had no hope. There's a verse of scripture in the 23rd chapter that describes David's plight with regard to Saul. If you'll turn back for just a moment to the 14th verse of chapter 23. There's just a phrase there, but the phrase is filled with meaning. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Every single day of Saul's life. He took after David, and David knew every day that Saul was after him. There was no day off. There was no period of vacation. The pressure was absolutely relentless. Saul was determined to kill David. And I can't help but believe that that was the last thought to pass through David's mind before he lost consciousness at night. And it was the first thought to pop into his head as he awoke in the morning. It was the overwhelming problem that David felt. It was something from which he could not retreat. It was there all the time. And Saul, though he might have been miles away, might as well have been right next to David for the fear which he brought to his heart. Sometimes the enemies we cannot master are like that. If you have a sickness, and you know not what the sickness is. It weighs heavy upon you. You can think of nothing else. It's the last thing you remember dwelling upon before you go to sleep. And it's the first thing you remember thinking about when you wake up. Sometimes problems are like that. They weigh so heavy upon us. It is not that we actually are consciously concentrating on them all the time, but it's that they're always there, hovering in the background, ready at any moment to intrude into our thought process and bring discouragement and despair. So it was with David. He had an enemy he could not master. I pause for just a moment to reflect upon the fact that we have such an enemy as well, do we not? Is Saul not a picture of the relentless tirade of the enemy of our souls upon us? 
Does not Satan every day track us to discourage and defeat us? Is it any wonder that we are instructed in God's word that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but our enemy is supernatural and one that we can only meet in the power of the Spirit of God? Yes, David was depressed because he had an enemy that he could not master. But secondly, David was depressed because he had an expectation he could not meet. As we read the 27th chapter and especially the chapters that follow, we discover that David had taken on himself a great responsibility. 600 men and their wives and their children. And now David is a fugitive. And as we read the story of the 27th chapter, we discover that what he has decided to do is to cast himself upon the mercy of Achish, the king of Philistia, and to take his men and their families and their children into that foreign land and find refuge there from the relentless pursuit of Saul, his enemy. David was now responsible for 600, their wives and their children. And I believe the children were especially important to David. And as we examine David's life, he himself had two wives, and it's mentioned here in our text. And he was responsible to provide for their needs and care for them. And it was a great burden upon David's heart. During other times, he could have handled these problems and these pressures, but he had now come to the end. He was going to give up. He was going to sell out. He was going to quit. And he said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. And I will escape out of his hand. And David arose and passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And he dwelt with him at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And you see the picture, David with all this pressure and all this responsibility and all that he had to do and all the expectations. And we shall see as we come to the end of the story today that I am not guessing when I say to you that the men and the women and the children all looked to David for strength and protection and he felt the weight and the pressure of all that they expected from him. And on top of that, he had this enemy who would never let him go. And all of a sudden, one day, it was too much for David and he said, I can't handle it anymore. And he walked away from it and he just gave himself up to the influences of the world. I pause in this message to reflect upon the fact that sometimes Christmas can be like that. Christmas sometimes pushes us to the very brink in a season when we ought to be rejoicing in our faith and in our Savior. We get pushed to the very edge by the unrelenting pursuit of pressures and the unbelievable expectations of everyone who is around us. We need to be at every party. We need to go to every housewarming. We need to respond to every letter. We need to be at every Christmas presentation. We must not miss the children's programs. And then there are the desserts and the dinners and the meetings. And all of a sudden we look and we say, what has happened? 
I was telling our collegians in chapel the other day about a woman who was shopping with her two little ones. She had had it right up to here. She had been for eight hours in the marketplace listening to each child ask for everything their eyes could see. And finally, at the end of the day, as she was descending in the elevator from the top floor where the toys were, back down to the bottom floor where she could find her car and get home, with both children hanging on her, she pushed her way into the busy and crowded elevator, and she was heard to say, Who in the world ever started Christmas anyway? Whoever he is, we ought to stand him up and shoot him. And there was a voice from the back of the elevator, and the voice said, Don't worry, lady. They crucified him. And all of a sudden, a stillness came through the elevator. And all of a sudden, the perspective of the season was put back in focus. Sometimes it gets out of focus, doesn't it? Sometimes the pressures are heavy. And so it was for David. Do you have an enemy you cannot master? It needs not be flesh and blood. For some of you it is a habit. Perhaps for some of you it is a relationship. Do you have expectations you cannot meet? I must say to you that probably pastors suffer more here than in any other area because the expectations are so great and so varied and so many. Well, the question is, what do we do when we are faced with this overwhelming pressure in our lives? What did David do? David said in his heart. Notice, there is no godly counsel. There is no prayer. There is just a resolution in his heart. Previously, when David had to deal with Nabal, he suffered from a strong attack of passion. He was going to kill him. But now when he looks at his circumstances, the attack is from a different direction. It is not passion this time. It is panic. (laughs) What am I going to do? And so we read in the rest of the chapter what he did. And we move from the circumstances of his depression to the cost of his defection. David defected. He gave in to the enemy, and the price he is going to pay is a heavy one. Note, first of all, that by giving in to the enemy and moving into the land of Philistia to join the forces he had long been fighting, first of all, he deceived himself. It says in the fourth verse of the 27th chapter that when it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, he sought no more again for him. Word came to Saul, David has gone to Philistia and he has joined himself to the king Gath and he's now living as a citizen of Philistia. And Saul gave up his hunt. Why? There's no reason to hunt for David now. The reason Saul hunted for him was out of jealousy that David would ascend to the throne. How could David ascend to the throne when he's living in Philistia? He has become a part of the enemy. And so David feels that the pressure has been removed. He doesn't have to worry about Saul anymore. Saul's not about to walk into the city of Gath and confront David on foreign soil. And so the pressure is off. But please hear me. It is a false sense of security that David has. He has deceived himself. 
He has believed that since the pressure outwardly is off, that he is no longer in any danger. But men and women, may I say to you, David has never been in a place of greater danger than he is right now. He has defected to the enemy and he stands now in greater jeopardy than he has ever stood before in his life. Think of it. He is in Gath. And what is that city that comes to our mind? It is the homeland of Goliath, the Philistine whom David has slain. It is the homeland of the enemies who had attacked Israel for so many years. It is a land filled with everything to which David has shown opposition in all of his life. He has settled down in comfort in the land of Gath. May I suggest to you that there is a way to get peace from your trouble. Some will try to find it in bottles. Others will reach into the pillbox and fill their system with a deadening drug. You say that is not peace? Well, there's a kind of peace that you notice when somebody is under the influence. We used to say, as I was growing up, they feel no pain. But it is a peace that is deceiving. It is a false sense of security. While they have deadened their system to the stimuli of the outward pressure, the pressure is still there. And when in a day or so or a week or so they awaken from their stupor and their headache is beginning to go away, they will look out at the same world and the same pressures which have gotten worse while they have tried to find this false peace. David went to Philistia and in the process he deceived himself. But secondly, he dishonored his Lord. David, remember, was God's anointed. And I have reviewed this week as I have read this story again that God had carefully and very strategically and very continually reminded David that he was specially anointed to be the next king of Israel. If you go back through the story, which we have read, you will discover that, first of all, Samuel the prophet took the oil and poured it upon David and personally anointed him and told him in front of everyone ceremonially that he was the next king of Israel. Samuel told him that. Now, you need to take the word of God's prophet. Samuel was the one who had anointed Saul before David, and his word had come true. But that was not the only time David had heard the promise of God, for Jonathan, his best friend, had also told him that. Jonathan, who had more to lose from David's ascension to the throne than any human being, had said to David, you are going to be the king in my stead, David. And he gave him his robe and in essence said to David, you're the next king. And then last time we met, we learned about Abigail, who is now David's wife. She understood who David was, and when her husband Nabal died, she married David, and she knew in her heart that David was to be the next king. And if you read the 25th chapter again, you will discover that God brought Abigail into David's life to confirm again the promise of God to him that he was to be the next king. And then as if it was an all-conclusive response, God even put it in the heart of Saul, David's enemy. And Saul said to David, now I know that you are to be the king over Israel. So here is the appointed and anointed king. 
And by his actions in the 27th chapter, he has said that he does not believe God. Listen to what he says. He does not say in his heart, I know that one day I will be king. He says in his heart, I'm going to die. Saul is going to kill me and it'll be all over. There's not one hint that even one little bit of the promise of God has entered into his thinking. What an illustration for all of us. So often when we are really desperately down, we forget what God has said. We listen to the voices of everyone else and we don't hear God's voice. And God's voice is the one we need to listen to because it's the voice that is filled with hope and promise in the future. And David had to learn that lesson. And uh, tomorrow we'll bring this all around to the end of the circle so you can see what happened. I hope you'll join us then. Don't forget you can get uh, the David series on CD and with two study guides. We'll be continuing the study of David's life in the month of July. We will end June, and the first study guide will be history, but study guide number two is coming up, and the CDs are available too. You can get all the information about this and order this material from davidjeremiah.org. Go there and find out all you need to know, and let's continue studying David. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life. A month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. If you fly a lot, you may have noticed a new addition to 20 major airports throughout North America, therapy dogs. Volunteers bring their dogs to the airport as part of the PUPS program. Pets, unstressing passengers. Passengers who interact with the dogs give the PUPS program high marks 
for lowering the stress level in an otherwise stress-filled environment. Animals definitely have a role to play in the lives of humans, and they deserve our best care. But even if you don't have access to a pet, you can live a stress-free life. Jesus invites you to come to Him and let Him give you rest. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's rest on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.